Welcome to another edition of the Find Your Calling podcast. I'm Todd Wilson, the host. Each week I get to interview a different leader on the story of their calling, sort of the backstory in their life and the narrative leading up to what they're doing today. Today I am just thrilled to have with me Brandon Cox. Brandon is the lead pastor of Grace Hills Church in Benton, Arkansas. He's been there for about five years, planted the church. Welcome, Brandon. Oh, thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Well, Brandon, you're uh, born in Kentucky, went to Central Baptist College and Western Kentucky University. You're an avid blogger and writer. You get the privilege of overseeing Pastors.com and Rick Warren's Ministry Toolbox, so that's an online community that you oversee. You've pastored a couple of different churches, eight years in Kentucky, five years in Arkansas as the lead before being on staff with uh, Rick Warren at Saddleback for a year. I think that's where you really got the bug to plant Grace Hills Church, where you've been now for five years. So. If you would, just start off by giving us kind of an overview of the backstory of your life. Sure, yeah. I grew up in uh, southern Kentucky in a county where my family lived four or five generations. So uh, none of us previously had ventured out much and uh, grew up in a, going to a, a little country southern Baptist church there in the middle of nowhere. And when I was about 12 or so, our family stopped going. There were problems within the church and we quit. And so then I didn't, uh, didn't go back to, the, to church again until my senior year in high school. I had, uh, I'd made a decision to follow Christ very early in life. But I would say that, you know, when that 12 year old mark hit, kind of my spiritual growth in a childlike sense was sort of stunted. But I met my wife in high school. She was seven lockers down. And her father was the pastor of a church in Kentucky. So I started attending with her, and it was kind of required by the future father-in-law, and uh, just fell in love with it immediately. And in the context of that, almost as soon as I started attending that church as a senior in high school, uh, experienced a, a definite calling to ministry, to vocational ministry. And so I, I pursued that and asked lots of questions. My wife and I moved away to central Arkansas to Bible college, got married after our freshman year, and actually started pastoring a small country church while I was a pastor. And didn't last long, was about five months long, and then uh, moved on to another one and was there for seven months. I learned some really hard, difficult lessons in, in that first year of ministry. And we actually moved back to Kentucky, and my plan was never to be a pastor again. And we went back to the church I'd come from. I started leading the youth ministry. And then uh, the pastor left, and three months later, they asked me to be the pastor. Very reluctantly said yes, and we spent eight wonderful years there, just good healing years. And uh, the church grew, and we grew. Then we moved to Arkansas for five years and served a, a much more traditional, smaller church on the north end of Bentonville. And during that five years, it was a wonderful church, wonderful people, but I sort of became discouraged a little bit in ministry and feeling like there was there was more forming out there somewhere and began doing creative things like uh, web design, graphic design, branding work for churches and even for businesses. And uh, all of that led to a contact from David Sean at Saddleback Church. And David reached out, asked me to come for a visit and then offered me a, a position there helping to restart the pastors.com community. So we moved to Southern California for a year and became a pastor at Saddleback and spent a year on staff. And really all of the conversations during that year were all sort of revolving around church planting. Uh, Angie and I had talked about church planting for a solid decade uh, leading up to that experience and really became apparent to me that 
Uh, I, I was still supposed to be in a lead teaching role. So I talked to my bosses and my pastor and everybody about that. And it was sort of an excited moment of sending us back here to Northwest Arkansas five years ago to plant Grace Hills. And we kind of started with one other family and it's just sort of rolled along and grown and had a little over 500 on Easter. So it's grown significantly in that time. And we're just extremely excited to be where we're at. And that's kind of the kind of the outline of my life. Well, Brandon, there's not a standard definition for calling. If you would, just articulate your understanding of calling or your working definition of calling. Yeah, I think calling is a combination of the way that God has made me, wired me, shaped me, which includes my my spiritual gifts, my passions, my abilities, so forth, combined with the ways that He has led me, either spiritually or circumstantially, so it's taking who he made me to be and living out his purpose within my own context, which is unique to anyone else in the world. So it can be a workplace, it can be a church, it can be all kinds of things, but it's living out his mission in my context through the way he's designed me. I love the dimension that you put there that combined with the way he's led me experientially. Most definitions of calling that you read about have the first part, you know, how you're made, how you're wired, how you're shaped, all those passions and abilities and how they come together. But I've not heard someone articulate adding into that how God's sort of experientially led me. Can you unpack that a little bit more? Yeah, I think at the at the root, I think we serve a God who is alive and living and active and involved, and therefore he continues to communicate to us. And, you know, you can disagree about how exactly, but he's alive and well, so he does. So I think you have to look at your circumstances. You have to listen to scripture. You have to listen to voices in your life that are there providentially and kind of combine all of that. What is God telling me uh, in my, my prayer time? And, you know, some people may have this grand experience of audible voices and so forth, and others may not. They, they see it very differently. Uh, I, I don't know that God is restricted to a single form of making that calling known, but I, I do think he definitely leads us through the experiences that we go through to the next thing in our life. Well, how would you articulate your calling right now? I think for me, uh, my calling really came in two phases. There was when I was 17 years old, riding on a school bus from my high school to Louisville, Kentucky for a big business leaders conference. I was part of FBLA, Future Business Leaders of America, and I thought for sure I was going to be an accountant or a CEO or, you know, something, something made a lot of money. That's what I was worried about at the time. And I had just gotten back into church. God was dealing with me. I was reading in my Bible and came across Jeremiah 1 where he says, you know, before I formed you in the womb, I called you. And that was a new concept to me. And I wrote in the margin of the, the Bible that day, March 1st, 1995, called to ministry. And I sat on that for a while. It was about seven months before I really began to share that and flesh that out. But uh, it just was a definite, you know, Brandon, you have desired this. You've been thinking about this. And I'm confirming that this is what I want you to do. So I got into that. That's the track I followed. But I would say that the second aspect of calling for me came about six six or seven years ago through the experience of being on staff at Saddleback, where I think he made his calling in my life more definite for the rest of my life. That from, from here on out, I, 
this is specifically what I want you to do. I want you to be the teaching or lead pastor of a church plant. And, you know, this is what I've, I'm kind of bringing it all together and really went through some hard experiences that clarified what kind of church we would plant and what we would give the rest of our lives to. Let's press back into in that first phase. You're riding on the bus. You're 17 years old. You've got thoughts of the business world and making money, and you open your Bible. Give us a little bit more of the detail. You wrote down in your Bible that day, March 1st, 1995, called the ministry. Mm -hmm. What was going on at the time, you know, sort of this cross-current of tension that you're thinking about the business world, but you actually write down in your Bible, I'm called the ministry? Well, I was working at the time at an insurance firm in Bowling Green, Kentucky. It was an old firm that had been in town a 100 years. It was one of the larger ones in town, and I was doing a sort of a high school co-op position. And they had offered, uh, they'd said, you know, we really would love to send you to University of Kentucky, get a business degree, come back and work here. And so there was this sort of bright future. And I was surrounded by guys who had followed that track, and they were making good money, and they were good people, and and that was what I knew. That's really all I had experienced. Then I start going to church with my uh, future wife, and I'm hanging around her dad a lot, and I'm I'm really becoming sort of enamored with this idea of giving your life to what God wants you to do, and and serving people, and even teaching and speaking. Which, as a as an introvert, that was the scary part. I was terrified of that idea. Uh, but nonetheless, I think on that bus ride, it it just became apparent. I had to face this question. Am I going to do what I want to do and what I think is success, or am I going to bow submissively to what God wants me to do, regardless of whether I get rich from it? You know, that that suddenly became a, it was just a crucial question I never really considered until that day. So I sort of followed a different track from then on out. And now you're dating your future-to-be wife, Angie, at this point. Did she speak into this process at all with you at that point? It's funny because she was a good girl, meaning she really wanted to please honor her parents, but she also was determined to never marry a pastor. <laughs> Just something about that. So if she spoke into it, it was probably with reservation or hesitation. But at the point at which I said, no, I really believe this is what God wants me to do. She became and has always been since then just the most helpful, supportive partner I could possibly ask for. So yeah, even in our teen years, she pushed and encouraged and helped all along the way after that. Well, Brandon, in the life planning process, we look, sorry, at the story that God's writing in people's lives. And at transition points, often we see key people. We see, I remember when's things like, I remember writing on the bus. I opened my Bible on March 1st, 1995. I wrote, called the ministry. We can see that pattern throughout our lives where God's at work, where maybe it doesn't quite make sense to us. At that point that you wrote down in your Bible, called the ministry, how much clarity did you have on what that meant into the future? Well, I sort of had a a certain picture in my mind because my father-in-law slash pastor had loaned me a book called uh, Standing on the Promises. It was the autobiography of W.A. Criswell who back then in the late 90s, uh, a lot of a lot of us really looked up to in ministry. And he wrote this autobiography really to just share his own story, his own journey, uh, from being a teenager all the way through Baylor and then pastoring at First Baptist Church in Dallas. And the way he described preaching 
and the way he described life and ministry, that sort of enamored me. And so I really became focused on that's what it looks like. And I began to really strongly desire that, that kind of life over the, the life I had previously pictured for myself. So, yeah, and it was just a life of, of serving and going wherever and preaching as, as often as I could to as many people as I could. And that's how I sort of envisioned it in, in those days. Well, I think you said that while you were off at college, you had two small country churches, one that you were at five months, I think, and then another for seven months. Sometimes we have some of our greatest learnings in the most difficult seasons. You implied that those were a couple of difficult seasons for you. In fact, you said after coming out of the second one that you never wanted to do it again. Tell us about that season, sort of what the circumstances were, and in retrospect, what God was teaching you through that. Yeah. Well, they were difficult experiences in that I was 19 at the time, and I really thought, okay, everyone that goes to church is here for the sole purpose of fulfilling the Great Commission and has no personal agenda at all. I don't know why I thought that, because I grew up in a church that had issues, you know, but what I encountered was a decade and a half of building bitterness between people within those two congregations. And, you know, I found myself uh, sort of wedged between people who didn't get along and didn't like each other. And I'm seeing the human broken side of, of ministry. And in all honesty, I wasn't ready for it. I was not mature enough to handle or address those those issues. When I walked away from it and moved back to Kentucky, I thought, I still love Jesus. I still want to do something in ministry with my life, but I'm not ever going to be that, you know, uh, sort of stuck in the middle person again and wound up being right back in being a pastor, you know, somewhere for eight years. When I recounted this later with a mentor, that's when I really understood what I think God was letting me walk through. And what he said was, you know, if you if you're going to become what God wants you to become, what he wired you to become, you're going to have to walk through a fire somewhere. You're going to have to go through the furnace. And that's where you get shaped. And you can run from it here, but you're going to encounter it again somewhere else. And I think that that whole experience was very much a a fire. I had some head knowledge. I had a desire, but what I needed was some pain. And, and so I walked away just thinking there's a depth to, to my life that I needed and, and really found there. Let's actually press into that transition point from those two churches where you had a difficult situation to now you're thinking you don't want to get back into ministry. And I think you described a season of healing that came in that eight years at the next church. Tell us about that transition to back into that church for eight years. How did that come about? Who were the people that spoke into it? What were the circumstances? Yeah, well, my father-in-law had been the pastor of the church, and and there were a lot of people within the church who they had moved previously in their life from the St. Louis area to Kentucky. And as I came in, most of those people were retiring and moving back. So the church was was losing some people just by attrition, by retirement. And uh, my father-in-law was called to a church in the St. Louis area, so he he left to do that. And so when I when I stepped into the role, there were about 45, 50 people coming. And I ran across uh, a little book that some people have heard of called The Purpose Driven Church and read in that uh, the, the whole concept of God has a, you know, a set of purposes for your church. And, and so began to implement those things. We did the 40 Days of Purpose campaign and so forth. And I watched that church grow and I watched the people really develop a heart for the community. 
and we saw people who were didn't have a relationship with God at all come and investigate and get plugged in and grow and and then they would reach their friends and for the first time i thought you know okay maybe not all christians including me maybe we're not always just about the great commission but it is possible for us to be about the great commission and that gave me hope and uh, from that point forward I, i just knew that god could work in a group of people to accomplish some big things and that it was possible. Once I saw that it was possible, I think it changed and shaped the rest of ministry for me. Well, you had an eight-year run at that church. Tell us about the transition and what happened that then sent you to Arkansas for the five years at the church there. Yeah, a close mentor of mine just called me uh, one day and, and asked if I was ready for a challenge. And, and in the world I was in, we had grown from those 50 people to about 120 or so. So, you know, it was for, for a small church, it was good, healthy growth. And he called and, and said, you know, there's a church in Bentonville, Arkansas. It was a little bit larger and more established and just sort of a different challenge. And would you be interested in, in going? So he, he gave him my name and everything just kind of worked out. It was almost as if we were moving and, and, uh, and then looking back at it. But what I, what I moved into was a situation that I, I also did not expect. And I think it set up that sort of second major transition in my life in that I moved from a, uh, an eight year stint of being in a, environment where I could be creative and we got along and we did great things back into an environment where for five years I encountered frustration and people were afraid of creativity and of change. And it created in me uh, a new hunger for something different. That's when I got into the design and so forth. And and uh, one thing led to another. And I think the Saddleback door opened at just the right time in my life to uh it's kind of ready to explode i guess with some creative thinking so it was a, it was a difficult transition in some ways now oftentimes it's in our difficult seasons that that god will you know kind of sprout in us some passions or some things that actually point toward our calling or our core identity of calling in this case you're in a season of 5 years not a lot of creativity And part of what you were drawn to, I think you said you discovered this freshness of web design, branding, marketing. How would you link being drawn to that to say your core identity of who you're made to be? Yeah, I think part of it is when I would talk about things like Facebook or Twitter, which we know are just social media tools. When I would speak about those things, I would speak about them in a context where people were always down on them. Those are just new things. That's not the real world. People escape into those things. But there was something inside of me that was sort of pointing a different direction. And I just knew there was more to this than, than what it was being given credit for. And uh, I sort of became upset within myself thinking, you know, sometimes church is not the real world. I walk into church and feel like I've gone back in time. I get home, log on to Facebook or Twitter, and I see the real world. I see the culture as it is. And I think that that was something internally that God was, I just think he He originally wired me with a desire to know what's next and to have a little bit more of an insight into where culture is going 
and how he wanted his kingdom to sprout up within it. So that was the big uh, the big takeaway, I think. So would you say it, it wasn't so much that it was web work and branding work, it was what was represented by the futuristic aspect of things like Facebook and other, other things that sparked some passion in you? Definitely. But the web design was just something I, I had done for a long time as a hobby. I had done my church website and a few others, and it, it really, you know, someone gave my name to a an entrepreneur in Northwest Arkansas. Next thing I know, I'm I'm doing some work on the side for him, more for the the fun of it than anything. And pretty soon, I became just uh, fascinated with how can all of these technologies be used by the church. So that kind of plunged me into the whole world of church communications and design and so forth. And and that's what made the connection with David at Saddleback, who was looking for really looking for a pastor who had a passion for technology, which is a strange mix, but that's uh, how he found me. And tell us, how how did he find you specifically? Yeah, I had become the editor of a website called Fuel Your Blogging, and it was a, a sort of a blogging magazine online, and uh, it's kind of been in disrepair in the last few years. So back then, it was there weren't weren't as many websites doing that, and so I just get an email one day from David Sean, and he says, uh, "You know, I've been I've been watching what you've been writing through Twitter, and would love to talk sometime." And so it really, strangely enough, was Twitter that actually kind of brought us together. And he had read a lot of what I was writing about technology and about blogging, about social media. And when he called me on the phone, that's when we talked about the pastoral side, and ministry side, uh, my heart for pastors. It just was kind of a good marriage that, that came together. Now, that's a big move to move from Arkansas to Southern California. When you were making that move, what at that point in time, did you think the future was going to look like? Did you think you would only be there for a year? Did you think it was a career move? Well, I really thought it was a career move, uh, partly because I was at a kind of a second point of thinking, maybe I'm, maybe I'm done with this now. Uh, maybe, maybe I, I sh- I'm not supposed to be a, a lead pastor anymore. And if I'm going to be on staff somewhere, man, what better place than Saddleback? It was just sort of an amazing invitation to begin with. And so I really thought that was it. We weren't from California. We didn't have family in California, but uh, I really thought it was becoming home. Having said that, I, it was only about a month after we moved that, you know, began having all of these conversations about church planting and my wife and I both thinking, I don't think this is the destination. I think this is a hub. And, and that turned out to be confirmed pretty well. This idea that it's a hub and not a destination. So often that's the story of our lives with fairly good confidence in the beginning. You said there's really two phases to my calling. There was the early childhood at 17, go into ministry. And now this phase two that happened at Saddleback, where we're at in your story right now. And I think what you said was, and I think the second phase has positioned me for what I do the rest of my life. Do you have the clarity that where you're at is where you're supposed to be the rest of the life? I mean, you're kind of defining two periods, but what, what if life's a hockey game or a football game that's got a third and a fourth quarter? Well, I think for me, I cannot possibly predict the future. So I think we go through seasons. I don't know that I'll be the, the senior pastor of this church the rest of my life by any by any means. But I think anytime I've gone somewhere, I've gone with the hope of being there for a long, long time. And I've left it up to God as to what a long, long time is. But I sat down at Saddleback with Pastor Rick Warren. He, you know, started Saddleback at age twenty five and he knew 
he'd be there till age 65. The first person I'd ever met who had the next 40 years of his life mapped out very clearly. But what he said to me about my year there of transition was God calls some people to Saddleback and he calls other people through Saddleback. And if he calls you through Saddleback, then then we want to be part of sending you where you're going to go. So it was this sense of, I can't say for sure I'll be here forever. I just know that I'm going to be here for a long, long season. You've mentioned a couple of people in your life. Your father-in-law clearly had a mm-hmm. profound impact. Rick Warren's had an impact. What other people in your journey, especially your transitions in all these positions, are there are there any other people that just I remember when they said something or they did something that's had an impact on you? Yeah, one of the, one of the guys that has meant a lot to me. His name's Grady Higgs, and he is a, a pastor and missions leader who really walked me through a couple of tough questions and difficult moments. He was the one that shared with me about. You know, you're going to have to walk through a fire if you're going to become what God wants you to become. Taught me about prayer, taught me a lot about hearing from God. So he was huge in my life. And I think more recently, just some of the things we've been through at Grace Hills, Sean Lovejoy is a guy. He coaches me monthly. Uh, I soak up everything he says and just has had a, a huge impact on where we're at as a church recently. So those are just a couple, and I'm sure there's a longer list, but those are the guys who've really been closest to speak powerfully, I guess, into our future. Let me ask you hypothetically, if you were not in ministry, if ministry was not an option for you as your full-time vocation, what would you be doing? I think I would love to help people build um, their their dream businesses. Um, when I was doing a lot of web design, especially for companies. And, and I was surprised at some of the people I got to work for. It was a real neat privilege to do so. But my favorite aspect of all of that would be sitting down with an entrepreneur and helping them to kind of design and architect a plan for, for going forward. Not in the details, not in the spreadsheets and so forth, but just thinking through the brand, thinking through the story ahead of time. Uh, I, I would love to do that, whether that was in a design context or more of a coaching context. That's what I'd dream to do. I like to talk about this be, do, go framework. Who am I created to be? Those elements transcend all of the doing we do in life. We see it evident in all of the different positions we've had. What am I made to do, the different roles I have, and where am I to do it? Usually we can boil kind of our core identity of being down into a couple of words. And what I really hear throughout your whole story is this idea of building ministry. If I go back to age 17, you wanted to build a career. You wanted to make money. God put that to death. And it's interesting, those first couple of positions that you had, the five months and the seven months, in your own words, they they were stifling, it was bitterness, it was an environment that did not allow for the building or designing of ministry. It stifled it. When you describe your eight years in Kentucky, you know, doing the purpose-driven church with people there and just the excitement of the growth of going from 50 to 120... You are in a season of experiencing the building of ministry and the moving on to the the opportunity in Arkansas was with the sights on something bigger. The move to Saddleback with this idea of the combination of ministry with building an online community and the, the social media things built bigger is designing and building ministry. And then God gets a hold of you kind of in the ultimate way, starting a church. 
You know, that it doesn't, yeah. it's no more creative than that in building ministry or designing ministry. So it would appear that sort of this core essence of building ministry or designing ministry is weaved throughout your story. Am I getting that core identity right for you? Yes, I would say that's absolutely core. And I often look at my whole life story and think that there are really these two things God has cultivated. One is a sort of a pastoral heart to want people to grow. And the other is that, you know, sort of creative storytelling design side. So definitely, it's a good way to put it. Well, as we wind down here, what advice would you have for people? You get the benefit of hindsight, and I love the characterization that your wife used, that this time at Saddleback is a hub or a pass-through, not a destination. Many of our listeners are kind of on that journey of even trying to discover what's next for them. What's your advice? I think to um, really to appeal to, to what you've written and to emphasize wherever you are, uh, whatever you're doing, whatever might be next, focus first on what God is making you into. Uh, because even the part of the, the story that we maybe didn't get into as much is that at Saddleback, I came to terms with some broken parts of who I was personally and spiritually in a small group. And that small group changed the trajectory of our lives forever. The kind of church we're planting is really been shaped by what God did in me personally. So I just think the best advice is, even in seasons of waiting and desperately hoping for a paycheck, even then, focus first on what what it is that God is doing in you spiritually and personally before you think about what to do next. Well, Brandon, that's great. I want to thank you for being with us today. I would encourage people to connect with uh, Brandon's website, Brandon A. Cox. Brandon blogs and just has great resources. So thanks for being with us, Brandon. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me.